0: I'm struggling a little bit with how to start this morning. Um, We are, as Brian said, casting vision for uh, what we call missional community. And the reason I'm struggling with how to start is because for us, missional community is not a program. And so I'm going to start here, and I'm going to simply say that Redemption Hill, our church family, is a missional community. We are a missional community. And I want to connect that in scripture for you and help you see how that that is not just Redemption Hill, but really the church itself is a missional community. And so to do that, we're going to reach back into Scripture. We're going to start at the very beginning, and we're going to go from there. And I may jump around a little bit today, but eventually we're going to get to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. But I think it's important that we start theocentrically instead of anthropocentrically, which means starting with God rather than with man, okay? Okay. And so to do that, we have to go all the way back to the very, very beginning. And in the very beginning, which is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we have the actual words, in the beginning. And the very next word is what? God. In the beginning, God. Okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, depending on how you break that down in the original text and all that, sometimes some people would actually translate that. In the beginning, by the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. And the very next verse is, And the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And so if you interpreted it that way, you would have at work, in creation, at the very beginning, a triune picture of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, can we do that? Is it possible to translate that into that form? And the answer is yes, even if we go as simply to go to John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, we have almost a mirrored creation narrative to Genesis 1, and John in his gospel starts his gospel with what? In the beginning. But this time, the next words are what? Not God, but the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to say that everything that was created was created by him and through him. In fact, the, the Bible will go on to say that there is not anything that was created that wasn't created through Christ. And so it is very acceptable to say that in the beginning, God, through the firstborn, Jesus, created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And the hovering that the Spirit is doing there, uh, in the original language, it it pictures incubating, almost like a... Uh, A a hen over her eggs incubates the eggs. There's this understanding of almost this incubation going on. And, And so it's through the activity of the Holy Spirit incubating over this void and empty space that God through the sun creates everything. And so we see in the very beginning, we see God, but we see God not simply as God the Father, but we see Him present in His triune form. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal and unified, one, together. Don't ask me to break that down or to allegorize it, because any way that I try and do that is going to fall short of what it actually is. It is a divine mystery, but we know that God exists in three persons in one And that's just it. We'll figure it out when we get to heaven. But to stay true to Scripture, that's what it is. And so we see then that God is what? He's existing, not just singularly, but in a community of relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in the very, very beginning, God is in community. And He exists in community. And we touched on this last week, but let's touch on it again. God, in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect love happening between all three persons of the Trinity, lacking nothing. God was not lacking anything. He needed nothing. Fully self-sufficient, fully self-loving, everything that he needed, he didn't really need anything, it's just him, existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, lacking nothing, then God creates, but he doesn't create because he needed something, God doesn't need you. That's, that's an important thing for us to kind of get into our brains and then into our hearts because we tend to give ourselves more credit than we deserve. God does not need me, and he does not need you. But he wanted you, so he created you. In love, he created you, okay? Out of love, he created you because God is Love and love was happening between all three persons of the Trinity perfect love and community, harmony and unity, and out of that love, God creates. Okay? Now, we know He created the heavens and He created the earth. We know that he filled the earth with all kinds of plant and animal life. We know that God separated the waters and gave a firmament in the sky. And we know about the sun and the moon and the stars. We know about all of these things. He separated the day from night. And all of it he called good. Right? You guys with me? Have you read Genesis? First couple chapters before. Okay? If you didn't know this, there is a God. He created everything. Okay? Okay? Then, the, and if you read the creation narrative, there's this building swell in this really prose language that is in the first couple chapters of Genesis, and it swells up into a crescendo. And do you know what the crescendo is? It's the creation of man. And God says he made man, in fact, community, They say, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our image. And then it says that God created man, male and female, in his image he created them. So even man... While we know, okay, Adam was made first, formed out of the dust. God breathes into Adam. So much going on there. Spirit, pneuma, life coming into the man. God takes from Adam a rib. He creates Eve. We know all of that process. But here the intention in God. Let us make man in our image, male and female. Now, sometimes when you read the creation narrative, it can seem, Eve can sometimes seem like an afterthought, like God forgot something. That's not what's going on. Now, we, I'm not going to presume to know the mind of God and why he did what he did. But it's amazing to me when I read that to understand that God allowed Adam to exist alone for a time And for God to say for us, it's not good that man should be alone, but for us to know that that was never God's intention. It's not good for man to be alone. And so what does God do? God creates a counterpart for Adam, just like he had done with every other species of animal on the planet. God creates a counterpart, a a a helpmate, as the Bible would say. And they were compatible. And so God creates man, but He doesn't just create man, does He? What does He do? Literally, God plants in the garden the nucleus for family. So God creates... The pinnacle of his creation is what? Man. But that man did not exist singularly, but God planted man in the garden as a family. So God created a family, Adam and Eve. And guess what did he say to them? Be fruitful, multiply, subdue and fill the earth. Be a family. Procreate. Make more little people. And they did. That's why we're here. Okay? So God creates, the pinnacle of His creation is man, and He does not create man singularly, but plants him in the garden as family. So we have creation. Then something happens. What happens? Sin. Sin happens. What we call the fall of of man, So I want you to follow this. So we have creation and then there's a fall. Sin enters the scene and breaks down, destroys and eats away at God's beautiful creation. And there's separation now between God and the family that he created and planted in the garden. And so some time goes by, and God says, I have a plan for redemption. In fact, he speaks to that redemption way back at the fall when he says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So he said, I've I've got this plan for redemption. And in this plan for redemption, what did God do to bring about his plan for redemption? He started another family. How did he do that? He did that by calling Abraham out of his father's household to come and follow him to a land that he would give him to make him a new nation and a new family. And so Abraham follows God into the wilderness to the land that God will show him. And God blesses Abraham eventually with a son. Before that, he says to him, I'm going to make you the father of many Nations. And I'm going to give you your descendants, he say, will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. So what does God do? He creates a family. We know that family as Israel. And we can see the story of that family all the way from Genesis chapter 12 all the way through to the New Testament. And we see how God is working his plan of redemption through this family family. Okay? So we have creation, we have the fall, we have this plan of redemption. The only piece we're missing in the puzzle is reconciliation. And this is a this is a pattern that you can see play out in the Bible of creation, fall, redemption, and then reconciliation. You can see this broadly throughout the scope of all of Scripture. You can see this play out individually in people's lives. But there will constantly be these moments of of creation, fall, redemption, and reconciliation. And so here through this narrative, we have creation, God planting this family. We have the fall. Now we have God working out a plan of redemption through this family, which that seed will come that he he prophesied about in Genesis chapter 3. And we know that that seed is who? Christ, It comes through that family that God created, through the Israelite family, through Abraham, eventually through David, and on and on until Jesus comes. And then God works out redemption through his son, through his blood on a cross, so that what? We can have reconciliation. Now, what happens at reconciliation? There is a a break that happens between creation and the fall, but then there is something that's restored in reconciliation. I mean, that's literally what reconciliation means, is to restore something, right? To reconcile. So our relationship with God is broken through the fall, but it's reconciled through redemption in Jesus Christ. We refer to that as what? Justification. Now, suddenly, we're back to where we were last week. Because as many as have received Him, the Son, which means they have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, to them, God gave the power, this is John 1.12, to become what? Sons and daughters, children of God. Our justification is the means by which we are, what? Adopted into the family of God. Amen? You follow me so far? Now... How do you become a child of God? You have to be justified through faith in Jesus Christ, through His redemption, which gives you reconciliation. What does that reconciliation look like? It looks like justification and adoption into God's family. Now, the question is, does your adoption into God's family make you an Israelite? A Jew. No. Something happened there, didn't it? So when we're adopted into God's family, we don't become Jews. Rather, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we become disciples. Jew and Gentile, Greek, barbarian, no matter what color your skin, where you come from, When you, by faith in the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, become justified by God and adopted into his family, you don't become a Jew, you become a disciple of Jesus. Now, these disciples that came from faith in Jesus Christ from the very beginning to today, but in the beginning, they begin to live in a way, in fact, Before anyone called them Christians, they called them keepers of the way. These who lived in the way. They believed in the way. And so they lived in a certain way that was different from the rest of everyone else. Which kind of marked them in their culture as different. As different as if they had been from a different country. And so Peter will go on to say, I urge you, brothers, to live as sojourners, as aliens whose citizenship is of another country, right? And so God makes a family, He adopts them. We become disciples. So all the people in God's family through faith in Jesus Christ are disciples. And so there's almost, you could say, a new nation or people of disciples. Do you follow that? All right. Now, I want to show you where we get some of this. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Very, very important exchange between Jesus and and Peter specifically, but his, his disciples in general. It says, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, what's the word there? Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Herein we have what is essentially the first mention of church in the Bible. And the one who uses the word is Jesus himself. And what does he say about the church? He says he's going to build it. But the word he uses there in the original translation is ecclesia. And the word ecclesia has to do with an assembly of people. So you have this word, ecclesia, and it means an assembly of people, specifically, you could quote, called out ones. So Jesus is not saying he's going to build a structure or an institution. He's saying he's going to build an assembly of called out ones, called out people, which is why we say we don't go to church, we are the church, okay? Now these people again are those who have through the redemption that is through the blood of Jesus Christ been reconciled unto God through justification which has brought a result of their adoption making them not only sons and daughters of God but essentially disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you follow? So when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, no matter who you are or where you come from, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, what you receive from Him primarily is a new identity. Now, we've got shows up the yin-yang of spy thrillers and, and, and all these things going on on TV. Now, if you are in trouble and the government is out to get you because what you have done, they deem as wrong. What do you need more than anything else? A new identity. You need new papers. You need a new passport. You might need some money, maybe a gun, but primarily what you need is a new identity, right? Witness protection program. How does that work? You got someone that doesn't like you, your name is on their list, what do you need? You need a new identity. Let me tell you something. We are by nature and by choice blasphemers of God, we have committed treason of the highest regard. Every single one of us has traded the truth about God for a lie. We have decided to worship the created rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We need a new identity. Because we're on the one list that you can't get off on your own. God, through his son, works a redemption a purchasing of those whom he's chosen for himself so he can reconcile that relationship. Our negative balance gets canceled and we get imputed. We get given the righteousness of Christ, right? Let's see where this is all coming from again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Reconciled. What? Us. You? Does it say reconciled you? No, it says reconciled us. So again, God creates a new family, and does he do it singularly? No. He again, he plants a family. He reconciled us. Where'd I here? I lost it. Where's it at, guys? Where are we at? Verse what? (laughs) Verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So now God reconciles us but then invites us it says here into a ministry of reconciliation. So daddy has invited us into his work. Okay? That is in Christ's God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, which, by the way, is the gospel. Verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled unto God. Verse 21, For our sake He made Him, Christ, to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in Him, again Christ, we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So do you see all of those things happening? God reconciling a people, not just individuals, a people to Himself. Inviting them into a ministry of reconciliation. Making their appeals to them. And in that reconciliation, what is God doing? He's attributing Christ's righteousness into their account, right? We're getting new identities. We're getting new identities. And what are the identities that we get? Well, primarily, we're redeemed. We're reconciled. That's part of our new identity. We're justified before God. We're not at war with God anymore. He's declared us righteous in Jesus Christ. We've been adopted. Therefore, we are children of God, sons and daughters, and disciples. Okay? Now, God takes his, Jesus takes his disciples. Awesome. Hope you got that. Jesus takes his disciples, and at the end of his ministry in Matthew chapter 28, at the very end of the chapter, Jesus takes his disciples, and he gives them some last words. Now, I grew up watching uh, Western's with my grandpa. Uh, Westerns are great with last words, right? Because somebody always gets shot, oh, you got me, buddy. You got me, pal. And they always like know where the Indians are or where the treasure is or, you know, depending what kind of Western you're watching or if it's Zorro, you know, then they talk in Spanish or whatever. But they die and, 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 and you can never quite hear what they're saying, right? And so someone always has to get down on the ground and like put their ear right up, right up to, to what they're trying to say because the last words that they say are going to be the most important words of their life, right? Okay. Jesus is getting ready to go up to heaven. Final instruction to his disciples before he departs this earth. And what does he say to them? He says. In Matthew 28, verses, we'll start at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, who is he saying this to? The disciples. So he's telling the disciples to go and make what? Now, Does this sound strangely similar to something we've heard before? Maybe all the way back when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden? What did he say? Be fruitful and multiply, subdue and fill the earth, right? Make more of you. Make more of you. That's what God said, essentially. And Jesus gets his disciples, this, this ragtag family that he's put together. They've been reconciled unto God through the redemption that is in his blood. They've been justified before him. They've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. And he has made them disciples. That's who they are. That's their new identity. They used to be fishermen, tax collectors, other People, he's made them disciples, and he gathers them together, and what does he say? He says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and subdue and fill the earth. Go, therefore, and make what? More of you. Make more of you. Be disciples who make more disciples, right? Are you with me? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So again, we see this bookend. In the beginning, who was active in all of that creating that family in the very beginning? It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who is active in the creating of this new family called the church, which is made up of disciples of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, have you tracked with me here? So God makes a family. There's a fall. Sin breaks the relationship with that family. God makes another family through Abraham, the Israelites. And through that family, God brings redemption through Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross. Raises him from the dead. And what has God done through the redemption that is in his son? He has made another family. That family is made up of people who are what? Disciples. So the family of God is disciples. They're people who have been called out of their former lives and been given new identities. Matthew 16, I will build my ecclesia, my assembly of called out ones. So Jesus said he's going to build his church. What is the church? The church is an assembly of called out disciples of God who have been adopted into his family. Are you following me there? Yes or no? Because I can go back. We can do it all over again. Okay. Are you are you connecting the dots here? Okay. Now, every family looks different. They sound different. You come to my house. We drink tea instead of coffee. It's not because we don't appreciate what happened in our country a couple hundred years ago. It's because my wife was a part of an imperialist colony. We drink tea, okay? We say things like boot and bonnet in reference to our car. We, we sound different. We look different. My kids are like a little brand. We weren't sure when there were two, but when three comes out and it looks just like the other two, you know you're building a brand, okay? We, we look different, Okay? Every family looks different. So the question is what does the family of God, the church, look like? What does it look like? Well, we can find out what the church looks like by going finally to the text that we intended in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. What did the family of God, the church, these disciples who were making disciples, making more of themselves, What did they look like in the beginning? And we can use that as a reference point, and then we can say, do we, who call ourselves disciples, who call ourselves the church and the family of God, do we reflect our heritage that we can see In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. That's the question. So let's read together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And in this picture of the early church, we see that they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Well, do we know what the apostles were teaching? Yes, actually, we do know what the apostles were teaching. We have it in what's called the New Testament. Now, I can break down very easily for you what the New Testament is about. The New Testament is the apostles' teaching about how that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So what were the apostles' teaching They were teaching what we now have today as Old and New Testament, which is essentially Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So they're devoted to Scripture, the Scripture that we know and love and have today, and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so there's a breaking of bread in this sense that is connected to the proclamation of the gospel through the Word of God and to prayers and the teaching of the apostles. And so we see this and we can see this in the context of a of a of a a worshipful gathering of all of the people of God. Okay? Which is why we gather today to fulfill that piece of Acts forty two, forty two through forty seven. And it says, an awe came upon every soul. And if you can't call awe on your soul, worship, I don't know what you can. So they're not just learning, but that the the theology that's being handed down from the apostles is creating doxology in their hearts. Theology creates worship. Doxology. Doxology is a fancy word for worship. And so when we learn about God, it should inflame our hearts to worship God. It's why we've chosen to do the bulk of our worship after the preaching of God's word instead of at the beginning. Because we, it's our desire that the preaching and the teaching of God's word would inflame, uh, inform our minds and inflame our hearts to worship. Which is why we've chosen to do the bulk of our worship At the after the preaching of the word. It says many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And now here we see all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so we see that community or common unity is taking place in this family. So what does this family look like so far? It looks like a family who's devoted to scripture. It looks like a family who is devoted to gathering together for the teaching of God's Word, for prayer, and for worship. But it also looks like a family that's not just gathered together for those things, but looks like a family who's together throughout the rest of their lives as well, holding all things in common. And it says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. So that means that not just on a Sunday when they got together to worship, but rather throughout the rest of their lives, they're caring for one another's needs. Now we begin to look and we say, okay, are we reflecting our heritage as a church? Then it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Hello, what? You mean potluck isn't just like this thing churches do, it's actually a part of their worship together? Yeah. Sharing meals together, breaking bread together in homes. Not just communion, but having communion outside of Sunday morning worship, by sharing meals together, which, as we've seen already through the book of Luke, and we'll continue to see, is exactly what they had been in the habit of doing with Jesus all along. Remember, they are disciples, followers of Jesus. Jesus has now gone, and as we said last week, Jesus said to them, better the Holy Spirit inside you than me beside you, right? And so now with the Holy Spirit they're going and they're carrying on doing the things that they had done with Jesus all along which included hanging out together and sharing meals together and that this was a part of their liturgy of worship and rhythm of their lives. They received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God, having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Um... (laughs) Spent my whole life in the church. And when people come into the body of Christ, when they get baptized, right? Remember what Jesus said, born not just of water, but of the Spirit. That baptism is supposed to be like a new birth, right? Oh, hello, what did we used to say? are you born again, right? This, this new birth. In my whole life I've lived in the church and I've never quite understood why when people get added to our number it's so hard for us to accept. It would be like me being upset that my daughter was born this week. And yet so often people come through these doors or they get involved in what's supposed to be the family of God and what they get is a cold shoulder instead of a warm hug. People come in and they look different, they act different, they come from different parts of life and we forget that our common unity is supposed to be Christ and not our affinities for certain types of music or clothing or Uh, where we come from in life or what social status we have. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, which means that this family looked inclusive rather than exclusive. Now, there is something that has to be done in order to be a part of the family. What's that? Faith in Jesus Christ, which involves repentance. Repent and believe. But beyond that, that's it. And yet sometimes we can be, I'm not accusing anyone here today, I'm speaking very generally. My experience here has been different than the rest of my life, praise God. But it's enough for us to remember and remind ourselves that we have a propensity to, towards uniformity instead of diversity. We have a propensity towards uniformity instead of diversity. And we need to celebrate when God brings new people into his family because it's like a birth. It's a new birth. Someone's been born new, fresh, a new creation, reconciled. And what do you do when someone's been born fresh and new? Requires a little more attention, requires a little more care. And so we've got to gather around them and and care for them and love on them and show them what it means to be a part of this family, right? Now, I don't know a better way to describe this family than to say that this family of disciples looked like a missional, okay? So they have a missional community. It's a missional community. The early church, what kind of family was it? What did it look like? It looked like a missional community. A community of disciples who were living on mission together. And what was the mission? It was the ministry of reconciliation. Making disciples. Making more them. Making more thems. So they had a simple mission. Make more use And They live together on that mission of making more use. Now, I've gone through all of that to say that missional community, as we understand it and proclaim it to be, at its most basic form, is actually just being who we've been called to be as the church of Jesus Christ. It's about making and being disciples as such you cannot say do this 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 and this and that's missional community any more than anyone could say if you dress like this and say boot and bonnet and drink tea you can be a hooper do you follow me so it's it's not about doing certain things it's about being a certain thing specifically a family of disciples who make disciples So what is missional community? Missional community is being a family of disciples who make disciples. Now, all the way back to the very first thing I said, Redemption Hill is a missional community. We are a family of disciples who, by the one that we call Lord and Savior, has called us to make other us's, right? Right? to make more disciples. The way we make more disciples is by being disciples. And you can't just be a disciple on Sunday morning. You can't be a part of the church by just showing up on Sunday morning. If you just show up on Sunday morning and that's what your church life is then you are just an attender of a missional community gathering. You haven't actually become a part of the missional community. So as a missional community, a family of disciples we gather in different ways. Why? Because families gather. That's what they do. Families gather. And you can only say you're a family really together when you're gathered together. When you're alone you can say you have a family you're a part of a family but you're not being a family by yourself somewhere. Right? Requires more than one to be Family together. Yes, common sense? Are are you with me? Okay. So what do families do? Well, families gather. And so as a missional community, a family of disciples, we gather in a few different ways. We gather on Sunday mornings for worship and for the word and for sacrament, which is communion. That is one way the family gathers. Another way that we gather is through what we call DNA groups, which are basically groups of two to three people. And we do this weekly to read and study The word of God together and to confess, repent and confess and be reconciled. Then this missional community breaks down and gathers in smaller missional communities. How do they gather? Well, they can gather in many different ways, but primarily what we've asked people to do is get together and share life and meals together. And so it looks like getting together, hanging out together, doing these things. However, again, it's if, if I just give you do this, 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 it's not necessarily missional community because here's the problem. You can be an attender of all these different things rather than being who you've been called to be. We're called to be disciples. As disciples, this is getting difficult now. As disciples, we need to have both an in, an up, and an out aspect of our lives to be well-balanced. Our upward has to do with who God is and what He's done and worshiping Him for it. Inward has to do with what He's made us to be in light of what He's done for us, and outward is how we live on that mission with each other. In order to be a disciple, I need to have all three of those things going on. The Word, the worship, Sunday mornings, speaks to that upward part of our lives as disciples. The inward, the DNA groups, speak to that where we're getting together in smaller groups, where we can study and read the Word of God together, where we can live in rhythms of repentance and confession and reconciliation around the gospel together, that speaks to an inward work that's going on that I'm engaged in as a disciple, okay? And the outward has to do with living on mission with the rest of my family to make more me's and us and use's. To make more disciples. So to really be a disciple, I've got to have up and in and out happening at all different times. And so what we want to do as Redemption Hill, as your family, we want to push you in all three of these directions. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, we want to push you up. We want to push you up towards your God to hear the proclamation of the gospel fresh and new so you can be reminded of it week in and week out so that you can worship God with abandon, without having to worry about who's looking at you or what's going on, to be prayed for if you need to be prayed for together here in this moment on this day to receive communion. We want to push you to gather together with two to three other people to read the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is... Important. The Bible is important, guys. Scripture is important. It is our lifeline. We've got to be in the Word of God. But the best way we can be in the Word of God is to be in it together. So we're encouraging you. We've got a Bible reading plan where you can read the Bible on your own every single day and know that other people in your family are reading the same thing. And then you can just get together over coffee or tea or lunch or brunch or breakfast or dinner or or basketball or ballet or... Whatever you want, whatever floats your boat, you can gather around that in the regular rhythm of your life with other people who are part of your family, and you can talk about what you've been reading in the Bible together because you're disciples. And you're learning and growing in what it means to be a disciple, be a part of this family, and to make other disciples. You read the Bible, guess what's going to happen? The Bible's going to tell you how good God is and how bad you are. And so each week as you gather together with other people and the Bible that week showed you how ugly you are in and of yourself and apart from Christ, confess that to them. So you know what, guys, when we were reading uh, this week in uh, Philippians chapter four and it said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know what? I, I just I don't rejoice. I'm not. I'm not very joyful. I've been depressed for a long time. I don't really know why. It's something I've dealt with my whole life. But when I was reading this this week, you guys, in Philippians chapter four, and it said, re- and the Bible's telling me, like I read it, and it's like not even a suggestion. It's like a command: rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Can I just tell you something, guys? I'm not, I'm not doing that. And and I and I don't really even know how. And I just need to confess that to you. And and I know I need the Spirit of God to do something in me. And I want to rejoice. I do. But but I've been depressed. Will you pray for me? That's called confession. It's called repentance, right? And so now we get to gather. Your two or three other people get to wrap their arms around you and go, you know what? Sometimes I don't want to rejoice either, but we need to because God's worthy of it no matter what's going on in our lives. So let's pray together that God through His Spirit would help us to be obedient to His Word and rejoice, Woo! So you pray together, and you know what happens when you pray like that? Reconciliation. Suddenly, though you looked into the mirror of the Word of God and saw that you were lacking, you were weighed in the balances and saw that you were lacking, you know what you get to find out? That God in His grace provided for you. But for the joy that was set before Him, (laughs) He endured the cross. So even my broken attempts at joy and rejoicing are covered by the joy that Christ walked in that led him to the cross, that covered my sin and my lack of worshiping God when I need to. And we can remind each other of that. In that moment, we pray for each other and just say, hey, just want to remind you, Jesus was joyful for you. It was joy that led him to the cross to redeem you. And that's something to worship. That's something to rejoice in. Let's rejoice in that. God, we thank you for what you've done for us. Suddenly we're rejoicing, right? That's inward. Now we get together with other people and we start gathering together with the rest of the family. And we say, you know what? Um, I've, got a, I've got a friend at work and I've been praying for them and they've been asking me questions about stuff. And, and I told them I'd read the Bible with them and and I don't know what else to do. And the, and the rest of the family goes, well, we're all getting together for dinner next week. Invite them. Why don't you invite them? And he, you, think, you think so? You think, yeah, come on. We won't beat them down with the Bible. We'll just have steak or hot dogs or quiche or whatever. Doesn't matter. That part doesn't matter. Just, and what do we do? We, in, we invite them. And so missional community speaks to the out part of being a disciple. And now you're not going around trying to make disciples all by yourself. Let me ask you a question. How, um, how successful has anyone been making a baby by themselves? Doesn't work that way. And there's so much more that we need to get into and talk about with all this stuff. But what I hoped I could do today rather than coming and trying to give you a definition of missional community, is to paint a picture for you that the church is a missional community. And that's what we're called to be, not what we're called to do. And so our job over the next days and weeks and months and years, as long as God will allow us, is to teach you how to be a missional community. What that means, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it smells like. Because really what we're saying is, this is what it means to be a part of the family. Is to be disciples who make disciples. A family of servant missionaries who make disciples who make disciples is essentially what missional community is. And so I don't know exactly how we're going to do that um, except to just start pushing you guys to get together, to gather in many different ways, shapes, and forms. If I could ask you to start somewhere, it would be in groups of two to three to read the Bible because you can get together with people and eat. And I'll borrow Paul here. Paul said in the New Testament, he said that, that physical exercise is, is good for something, but it's, it's the spiritual discipline that matters, right? And so we can get together, and we can have the most fantastic potluck meals, and we can feed each other's bellies, but if we're not in the word of God, we're not really a missional community. We just get together and we eat. Now, I want to get together and eat, Is definitely something that I want to do, and it's part of what's going on. But if that's all we do, we're not really missional community. And if we don't ever reach out, if we don't ever make more us, then we're not missional community either. We're just community. Sterile. Which means no proliferation. Our, Our country right now is in trouble because we are on average having 1.7 kids per family. And our birth rate is not high enough to keep our country from dying off because our death rate is higher than our birth rate. That's our country. The church is in the same place. Our birth rate needs to increase. We need to make more disciples. It's what disciples do. Just like making more people is what people do. Let's build the family. Let's make disciples. Let's do it together. Let's not do it on our own, let's do it in community. And when people come into the family, let's gather around them and celebrate them and care for them just like we would for a brand new little baby. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for this day, for everything we've walked through. God, give us wisdom for how to continue to fill this bucket. Lord, you teach us what it means to be a part of your family. We look in your word, God, and we can see sometimes that, God, we don't reflect the heritage that we've come from. Reform us, God. Reform us. Do it through your spirit. Do it through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.